four today, verses one to ten. I'm actually going to mainly focus up to six, believe it or not, a whole, you know, couple of couple of couple of verses will do us. If you've not got a Bible with you today and you'd like one, pop your hand up and we can pass one along to you. Lovely Bible monitor. We will do that. There you go. If you've not got a Bible at home, this is and you want one, this is a gift for you. Please take it home. It is yours. I'm gonna pray for me. <laughs> I'm gonna go pray for you guys. <laughs> and then we'll get started. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that's in it. Help us to hear something new today from you. And help us to hear exactly what it is you want us to hear, Lord. Help me with my words. Let them be your words, God. And prepare hearts in the room this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, Ephesians 4, 1 to 10, I'm going to read it first and then we'll get going. Unity and maturity in the body of Christ. Hopefully it'll be up on the screen as well. There you go. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Okay, okay. So, unity. It's a good one. You can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. Ah. If family was a Facebook page, its relationship status would be permanently set to... It's complicated. You've got it. Everyone in the room has a different emotion or feeling or thought when we talk about family. Because everyone's experience of earthly family is different. Some of you will be feeling amazingly peaceful about it and connect with this idea really well. And others, not so much. Yet our Father in heaven, time and again, uses language to suggest that we are his family. We are the body of Christ, the church. The church is like family. This is his family. Romans 9.8 says, This means that this is not that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. 1 John 3, 1-2 See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved are we God's children now. Heirs, adopted. Constantly this language is permeating this book of Ephesians. So, is it? Is church-like family. Possibly in all its complicatedness and sometimes mess, but hopefully in its connection, in its eternal link. I know a family who don't speak to one another anymore. You might know one yourself 
you might be in a family like that yourself. And at one point in time, this family got on well, has great memories, shared closeness, and then something hurtful happened. Words said that can never be taken back. Something too sore to risk being hurt again, to trust again. And so this family, who are no longer speaking, are they still family? Yes, technically. They will always be family, always be united by a gene pool, by blood, by memories and experiences even. So if that's what we can expect from unity in the church, is it? If we are family, we're pretty broken and we don't always get on. But we're always connected because we have one Father God, one Jesus, one Spirit. God is our shared gene pool. Jesus, our shared blood. And the Holy Spirit is our shared experience here on earth. But do we actually have to get on? So often church on the inside, and in terms of the greater picture, you know, denomination and all that, we can't see eye to eye. We can't quite work in unison. We're so busy disagreeing with each other on the detail. We can't see what the world sees of us, thinks of us. In a world where people long for connection, a place they can fit in, and family in the most positive sense of the word. Does the church look like that? Paul appeals to us to focus on what we do have in common to create unity. So let's see what Paul's written in his letter to the Ephesians today and maybe how we can apply it to our own time and place. So first of all, we have a common calling. Verse 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life life worthy of the calling you have received. So the first thing Paul says is we all have a common calling. And in terms of the context of this passage, the fact that Paul is encouraging the church in Ephesus and not long finished telling them that as Jews and Gentiles, they are one big happy family altogether. The interpretation here is going to be a general one. It's a calling to all. He's addressing the whole church, not a specific, what is my calling? Shall I be an accountant or a builder or a nurse? How am I to serve the church even? But this calling is a bigger picture calling, a gospel calling, a kingdom come calling. That if you know Jesus died for you, for your sins, rose again to life, and you accept this as the one true path to God, then you commit to live your whole life for him, your absolute allegiance to him for the rest of your life. That is this calling. That's a calling for all of us, a common calling. That's what we're aiming for. And the early church took strength from one another. They were not individuals gathered occasionally, but they saw themselves as one community. Our modern day culture is a bit different, I think. We crave community, but then if we don't get on well with a folk or don't quite see eye to eye with it, we don't need to bother, actually. We've got other options. These guys didn't have the same options. We don't have the same reliance. The early church, they would have needed each other in a place of persecution and starting out in this radical new faith. For so many, they would have had to have taken strength from one another. Now, does anyone remember the Millennium Bridge fiasco? Embarrassingly, here's my confession. I did Google when was that built. I'll give you a minute. Not my smartest moment. (laughs) Never mind, please, in the name. Um, So it's a great looking bridge in London and it's beautiful. 
hopefully that jogs your memory. And the architect had designed it. The engineers had figured out the theories of this suspension bridge. They'd figured out what weight it could take. And then in the real world, it didn't react quite as they expected, not as they predicted. And the reason that I read for this was the wrong sort of walking. I'm not sure what that picture's up for you. For me, it conjures up Monty Python's School of Silly Walks. I'm not sure, shall I, shall I, shall I? No, not, no, I'm not Michael McIntyre. I'm not doing it. <laughs> if you don't know what that is and you're too young, there's a lot of you too young, YouTube it. It's quite funny, I think. Um, yes. But this was not the kind of wrong walking they were talking about. What happened was, when the bridge moved and it swung from side to side, people started walking in step. And as they started walking in step, the bridge moved even more. It created momentum. It created vibration and wave. It increased even more. And even on the Albert Bridge in London, there's still a sign that says, soldiers must break step when marching over this bridge. What a powerful thing, walking in step, a powerful force. The wrong kind of walking. And on a smaller, more cheesy scale, ready for this, Ali and I, ever since we were dating, do this silly thing. If we're walking along hand in hand, ah, cute. If we're walking along hand in hand and we're out of step and we're doing this, like bashing against each other, we'll do a wee skip and walk back in unison. Ah, it's really, yeah. <laughs> Am I blushing? <gasps> yeah, that's so funny. Cheesy, awful, right? Well, where am I? I've lost the plot. <laughs> but basically, are we walking in step towards God together? Or are we bumping into each other every time we walk? Forward motion is really difficult when you're doing that. Let's keep our eyes focused on our common calling. We want to see the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, break into our lives here on earth. Think of the vibration that we could create on the world when we're working together and working with God, walking in step with one another. So we have a common calling. And we have common, I can't remember which C I chose, character. We do have common character. I've also got commands. It's a bit of both. So verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So what rubs you up the wrong way? Ali does not, sorry Ali, I've not warned him about any of this. Ali does not like hearing people eat. Ooh, not his favorite thing. I get really annoyed if there's a lot of oohs in songs. I'm like, can you not just play your guitar or think of another lyric or something? Come on. Sorry, songwriters. <laughs> And I also know, among many other of my own quirks, I finish people's sentences. Sorry. <laughs> I bet that's annoying. So the Telegraph published the top 100 things that people find annoying. I chose a few because it was too massive. But maybe you recognize yourself in this list, or you wholeheartedly agree that these things are annoying. Just some silly stuff. People driving close behind you. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you got an amen for that, would be? <laughs> yeah. People who eat with their mouth open. People who cough and do not cover their mouths. Oh, dog owners that don't clean up after their dog. People jumping the queue. Very British. People who can't park properly. No one here, right? 
No. <laughs> Someone altering your seat height at work. Oh, every Monday. I'm, I'm way up here. Pump, pump, pump. Well, I do do that in Ali's car as well. He gets in, has to squeeze into the car if I've pumped up the seat. Well, this one's bad. Children at weddings. I think that's harsh. But possibly true. I don't even like having my own children at weddings. Never mind anyone else's. Sounds so lovely. People can be amazingly annoying, incredibly awkward, wonderfully difficult. I'm pretty sure I'm really annoying to some people. No, no, don't, don't rush at once. It's fine. I'm like, no, Kirsty, you're not annoying. It's really easy to see other people's faults, the things we find annoying. How many of you love small group? Have a great evening. And then maybe you just mention something to your partner once everyone's gone. Oh, that guy, someone spoke or something someone did. Who's that useful for? I don't think it's useful for you. I don't think it's useful for the person. It's certainly not useful for unity in the church. It makes us feel, it makes us no different from anyone else. It's definitely what the world's doing. And we're called to be different. I try to run th things through a filter. It works, if you can remember it. I'll try and do it without looking. Are we ready to see if I actually do this? Is it thoughtful? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? That's a good one. Is it necessary? And is it kind? Think before you speak. Is it any of these things? Not biblical, but useful. And so we've got some actions in this passage, which I love. I love an action. Verse 2. They're not very easy ones, though. Be humble and gentle. So humble. How are we doing with that? Do you eat much of this? A bit humble pie? I do. At times, I worry more about being right than being humble. And gentleness. I read a lovely definition of gentleness. Gentleness is strength under control. Gentleness is strength under control. It reminds me of those moments that kids are fighting and somebody hurts another and you say, oh, they don't know their own strength. Do you know your own strength? What are you doing with it? How are you using it? Are you right or are you humble and gentle? And verse 2, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Ah, oh, patience. Almost unattainable by human effort, I think. Or maybe you're all fine with it. A fruit of the Spirit, definitely. Something that we just need to ask for more of from God, I think. I keep trying to muster it on my own. It doesn't happen. I need this, Lord. Dear God, gift us with your patience. Help us to bear with one another in love. So I was thinking about this, and I'm thinking, okay, so we're all just going to float around and not really ever challenge or communicate each other, and that'll work, won't it? That'll be like family. It'll be all peaceful and lovely. No. I don't think so. I don't think that's going to work. I think we're definitely supposed to be genuine. In family, when it's working well, we're probably at our most ease or most ourselves we can be with our family, the folk who know us the best. We can be honest and open. We can even argue. And it still be okay because of the deep love that we hold for one another. We should be mature enough in our faith and love each other enough to work this stuff out together, to be genuine and honest, but do it humbly, gently, and with patience, in love. 
It's not just going to happen. The Holy Spirit can assist us greatly, but this passage does call for us to work at it. It says, verse 3, make every effort to keep unity of the Spirit. And the family I spoke of earlier who are no longer speaking, is that just okay? Or should we try to make every effort to keep the bond of peace? And some families can't quite work it out to be together. I know that. But I wonder if they can feel a sense of peace with it all somehow. I think that might be what we should try and strive for. To make peace with it. And some people in church might just be too difficult for you to be around for lots of reasons. But again, we need to try and be at peace with it. With them somehow. Otherwise, imagine being in the same room with someone you're not at peace with, trying to worship God. Not very easy. We need to make every effort to keep the peace. And then character is the bit that I was supposed to mention. I want to mention our family resemblance. We are made in the image of God. We've been given some of his characteristics. All of us are like God in some way, believe it or not, whether you feel it or not. It's good to remember when we're looking at someone we are struggling with, They've been made in the image of God too. There is a family resemblance. It's good to try and look for that, in fact. Verse 6 says, There is one God and Father of all, and in all. God is in them. Can you see him? And we have common ground. Could we not just get on naturally with the ones we get on naturally with? Have things in common with? Well, on that basis... In this context, we have heaps in common. Paul says, verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That's quite a list of things in common. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. The early church worked hard. Paul is encouraging them to protect and maintain this unity, focusing on the things they did have in common. So let's do the same. Let's focus on what we do have in common. And Paul piles up words like this in other books as well. Philippians 2.2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Philippians 4.2, everything is to accord with Christ. And Romans 15.5, may God grant you to live in harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. I've got to mention small group again because I absolutely love it. I love it. And Ali and I usually choose a church based on whether they run them or not. It's a must for us. And the thing that I love about them most is not the cake or the food, not the Bible study, not even the Holy Spirit. All of that is amazing. And I do love it. But what I really love is that you start out in a room full of people that you could never imagine hanging out with, <laughs> ever. And you wouldn't choose naturally. And you probably rub each other the wrong way. And then after a bit of time, after it's been a bit sticky and a bit difficult, and eventually one day, I love them. I look at this room full of people, and I really love them. I love that. Where else does that happen? In the world, you go to groups where you've all got something in common or hobbies or interests or something. You choose it. You get thrown into this room on eclectic mix and you end up loving them 
I absolutely love it. We use the phrase fellowship. Oh, small group is a great place for fellowship. And I think generally we think that's hanging out and eating together and being, doing it all with Jesus, and it is. But the Greek translation, the word koinonia, is holding our lives in common. I really love it. Holding our lives in common. John Wimber says that the point of small group, there where people can relate, can actually live out the gospel. I believe everything you learn in the Bible is tested by being in a group of people that rub you raw. In small groups, we learn how to love the unlovely, thus fulfilling the command of Christ. Sometimes we're the ones in need of special love and support to get us through difficult times. Loving one another is not just a good idea. It is one of Christ's great blessings. Fellowship, fellowship is a garden in which the fruits of the Spirit multiply, the place in which life is lived out here on earth. I love it. And I say I don't have common interests with folk in small group. I don't, I don't have, we're not generally thinking the same way, the same things. But it's definitely a place that creates fruit because of our common ground. Heaps of it. We're all sinners. We're all unworthy of Jesus' love. We've all been given grace through him dying on the cross. We all have the same spirit in us. We're all going to the same place. We all have the same calling. We all have a part to play. We're all deeply loved by God. All different. It's not saying we must all be the same and think the same. Christian clones. No thanks. And we know this because the passage goes on to say that we're, we're all different and will have different gifts. The purpose is not to destroy distinction, but to destroy division. Not to promote uniformity, but to promote unity. Not my quote, by the way. I'm not sure who's, but a good one. So the next time someone speaks to you, you just don't get, that you almost can't bear. If we can remember what we have in common, our common ground, rather than focus on the things we don't agree about, we'll get closer to God. The kingdom will come closer. I know it will. Because the world excels at focusing on what people don't agree with. How many wars do we need to see to prove that? Politics, culture. And the church so far is also doing a pretty good job of this. Remember, as far as anyone knows, we're quite a nice normal family. I've got a plaque up in my house that says that. Everyone is normal until you get to know them. But what do the people looking into our church see? Do they see family? Do they see unity? Love? Love beyond difference? Beyond diversity? So why can't I just get on with those that I get on naturally? For God's glory. To show the world that we can be united even though we're diverse, even though we're different. In fact, how fabulous. This bunch of people that you just wouldn't imagine could even agree on anything. You couldn't make it up. We have so much common ground. And it's for a common good. My son had a picture from God two weeks ago, and I was just starting to ponder the idea of unity. And he pictured snowflakes falling, each unique, potentially weak and fleeting. But as soon as they land, they are part of something bigger. Christians, like snowflakes, are frail, but when they stick together, they can stop traffic. Love that quote. We're each unique, 
but really do have strengths together. Think of the strength we can have if we find true unity with each other and think of the impact that might have on the world around us. So that's all good and well, but humans are a bit of a nightmare. We can't get on for very long, we can't agree, and we are very different. So do we say it's okay to agree, but do it agreeably? Maybe. Or a funny one. We can agree to disagree until the Lord shows you that I'm right. Who's ever thought that one? <laughs> In the Garden of Eden, there was unity with God. Then came sin, then the disunity with each other and God. Not until Jesus came was unity restored for us. Jesus has restored our unity with God and each other. He's calling us to it for the common calling, the common good, to show the, the world what a great God we have. Jesus is where we can lean and look for the humbleness and gentleness and patience and love that is required to create such unity in such a diverse church. Two things that he's given us are his grace and the Holy Spirit to make any of this remotely possible. When Ali and I took on the role of pastoring this site, we had a vision, and we're still solidifying that as we get to grips with the role, but it was clear that we wanted it to be a place where people come alive by encountering Jesus, a place where people come alive from the inside out. And I truly believe that that is key for us as a church and indeed as a site. I feel as though we can really nail being united as a family of God it'll have a massive impact. And although our status might sometimes say it's complicated, hopefully the world will see a genuine, heartfelt community who love Jesus and desperately want others to know about it. Others to experience what we have, the love, the freedom, the purpose, the meaning of life in all its fullness made clear. Otherwise, we'll just be bumping into each other as we try. Let's do it side by side and in step the architect of the whole universe who gave us the ultimate bridge, Jesus, our way to him. As we walk in step with him and each other, could we be so in step that we create a wave, a vibration that rocks the world around us, a love that rocks the world around us, a wave that tears down previous conceptions, walls, barriers. It's a theme that the Bible talks of often. It's not just a one-off passage. God wants us to be unified. I think it'll unlock something, all working for the common good. John 17, 21 to 23 says, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be as one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that may, they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. We have so much in common, church. Let's be a spirit-rooted, Christ-centered, truth-cherishing, humbly-loving, unified church, so we can be a witness to the world for the glory of God. So there's a few things that I thought we could maybe respond to 
within all of this when I was preparing the talk. I thought there would be people in the room that this whole idea of family or church being like family is just really difficult. But your Abba Father wants you to know it's a different kind of family. Nothing like anything earthly you've had. Or maybe you struggle with trust. And God is asking you to trust him. Or maybe you've not said yes to being in the family of God yet. He's saying, you're welcome. Come in. I'm here waiting for you. And then I thought there might also be people who, the word unforgiveness. Not in a church context necessarily. But if you feel like there's somebody you can't forgive, then I think God would love to draw alongside you today to help you do that.